Many of us spend our whole life in search of purpose, desperately seeking meaningful ways to make a difference in the world with the short amount of time we are given. The Deploying High podcast has been designed to help you analyze what gives you purpose, to bring calmness to your life through inspirational, thought-provoking stories and conversation. I'm Nora Firestone, author of the book Deploying High, about the mission and true purpose of our host. So it is a true pleasure and honor to introduce to you Chief Gene Saunders. Hello, you're listening to Deploying High. I'm your host, Chief Gene Saunders. I am the founder and CEO of Project Lifesaver International. Today, we are fortunate to have a beautiful young lady that is going to give us some real insight uh, into the autism spectrum and the abilities that can come with it. I met her about 10 years ago. Uh, actually through a staff member that brought her to my attention and said, you really need to read about this young lady. She's extraordinary. Well, I started reading about her and I was so impressed that I reached out and asked her, would she consider being an ambassador for Project Lifesaver? And she accepted and actually spoke at one of our conferences and was a big hit. She is, uh, as I said earlier, and, and not to be superfluous, she is an extraordinary young lady. She is an author. She is an artist. She is a public speaker. And even more extraordinary, she is a lawyer. And she's done all of this while being on the autism spectrum. I'd like to welcome today, and please help me in doing so, Miss Haley Moss. Hello, Haley. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Chief. It really is a pleasure to get to join you here at Deploying High. Well, thank you. And like I said, you've been an ambassador for some time. You've been very active. We have appreciated that. You've supported us. Uh, I kind of like to start off with so people can know you and understand who is Haley Moss? Where did she come from? That's a lot to unpack. Yes, it <laughs> is. I'm, I'm going to try my best. So, you heard a tiny bit about me. I am from South Florida. I am born and raised. I can't imagine being anywhere else other than somewhere that it is warm and sunny most of the year, except for when except for when it's rainy season, as we know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that, is, that aside, I am autistic. I was diagnosed when I was three years old back in the late 90s during a very different time. So it seems I also am an attorney by trade, but an educator by choice. I love getting to talk about autism and neurodiversity and how we can be more accessible and inclusive for people of all abilities and really making sure that disabled people and neurodivergent people and autistic people are at the forefront of those conversations. I've written several books. I am honestly kind of just a nerd when it comes to things about, about disability. So I think with being a lawyer for me, a lot of it is policy. I love just getting to learn. I love just making sure that whatever I do ends up uplifting other people. I think it's always interesting when you ask me about me because I see what I do as in, and who I am as integral to my identity, but I also think none of this is about me. I think this is about a community that's much larger than myself. So who am I is I'm just trying to be one person who wants the world to be a better place. And hopefully something I'm able to do makes that mark. Well, you're doing a good job at it, actually. 
So let me ask you, how did you get involved? What motivated you to do the things that you do? I got involved in the autism community by accident. So I got involved as a teenager because I was asked about speaking on a panel because I was diagnosed in the folks that really supported my family all the years was the University of Miami's Center for Autism and Related Disabilities. Full disclosure, at this point in my life, I'm on their board, extremely full circle. So the folks at UM asked if I'd be interested on in serving on a panel at a conference in Orlando. It was, of course, not as awesome as our conferences in Orlando, to be quite honest. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> but, you know, when you're 13 years old in Orlando means Disney World, you know exactly how it is. You're going to agree to do it. So oh, sure. actually, at this point, I still am tempted to agree to do things when they're in Orlando because Disney World. So <laughs> some, some some people don't change. and. I was really excited to do this because I was also raised to give back whenever you can. And so many people have been supportive of me and a lot of folks have been involved in my development and my growth growing up. And I'm like, I have to give back. So I went to this conference and I'm on this panel and the panel is all men and adults. And there is 13 year old Haley just there. And most of the questions were geared at me because we didn't hear a lot from autistic women and girls at the time. We didn't know, we didn't hear from young people about things like adolescence. We were mostly hearing the experience extremely from that very male-centric view. So when I was asked to talk about even how I knew about my diagnosis, it was really groundbreaking for a lot of folks to hear. And that's also how I got started. I got approached about writing my first book about middle school because I had just finished the eighth grade and was extremely excited and also a little nervous about going to high school and all of this stuff. And before I knew it, this became a huge part of my life. I did become someone who enjoyed writing more. I always liked to write, but even getting to speak publicly and write about my autism, my autism for me at the time was a very need to know private thing. I didn't think it was that important to other people as a young teenager. I just wanted to survive school. I think a lot of us feel that way. I think a lot about what the princess diaries and how Anne Hathaway's character is tasked with being a princess. And she goes, I don't want to be a princess. I just want to pass the 10th grade. And I think that was a lot of my kind of attitude at that age was I don't want to be someone with a disability that's very open about it. I just want to get through high school. I just want to get through the day. I don't want to be seen as less than. I don't want to be bullied. I think my attitude at that age was very different. So it was very need to know. So parents, teachers, close friends, and I was actually doing an art show when I was in high school because I'm also an artist, as you mentioned, and part of my proceeds were benefiting an autism organization. And I hand a flyer to my freshman English teacher and he asks me to talk about my my artwork and stuff in front of the class. And of course, I'm comfortable with that. And then he asks me why part of the proceeds are going to this autism organization. And I had maybe 30 seconds to come up with an answer. And I didn't know what else to do other than just say, well, I'm autistic. That's why. <laughs> so that was how I ended up telling everybody. And that was also kind of a catalyst for why I didn't publish under a pseudonym, why I ended up just keeping everything attached to who I am. And honestly, it all changed my life. And I've been involved in our community ever since. Well, you're doing a wonderful job at it, Haley. Seriously. You've, uh, you've stepped in a couple of times at our conference and emceed and did a fantastic job. And I thank you for that. Now, why did you want to become, and you have to understand where I'm coming from being a cop. Okay. I think you know that. How did you decide that you wanted to go into law? 
I didn't. <laughs> I honestly <laughs> thought that I wanted to be a doctor. That when I was in high school, even when I started working with you, I had it really set in my mind that I was going to be a psychiatrist. I thought it would be the coolest thing in the world to help other people with disabilities and autism in order to understand themselves and also to get help that they needed. I thought that would be like the coolest job on the planet. Anyway, I guess college and first year chemistry absolutely wrecks me. And I realize I am not a science person. It's not the thing that makes me excited. I don't enjoy it. I'm not very good at it. And I'm kind of back to the drawing board career-wise. And I have to think about what do I actually enjoy? And I enjoy writing and I enjoy talking to people and public speaking. And I also want to make a difference for others. And that is how I realized those are all things that lawyers do. And I was like, oh, okay, lawyers do that stuff. I want to be a lawyer. And when I actually got to law school, I thought that I wanted to work for the federal government. So that's always an interesting tidbit that people don't always realize is I went to law school when I knew a little bit more about what lawyers did is that I thought it'd be really cool to work for the Department of Justice and the Civil Rights Division and do disability rights work. I thought that was the dream job. And I did end up working in disability rights very briefly in my first summer of law school, and it was too close to home for me. I felt too much empathy for every person that walked in the door in whose cases I'd end up working on because there wasn't really much that separated me from my clients, just one or two different life circumstances. And I would think about them all the time. So when I did end up getting into law, and I ended up practicing. I worked more on corporate side. So I ended up working in healthcare and I represented hospitals against insurance companies. And I always joke that I didn't care what hospitals do after five o'clock, but with a human being, I care what they do. I worry about their well-being. One of the first people I ever worked on their case is, was a young woman with epilepsy. And I would go home every day praying she didn't have a seizure. So I was always very nervous and I always felt very empathetic. And I still think about that person to this day. So that is how I ended up in that and life took other turns. And now I am a small business owner. I do consulting, whether it's on the legal aspects of disability hiring and inclusive workplaces and making sure that people with disabilities and autism and other neurodivergent conditions are included in all stages of society and the employment process. So I think I have a really cool job. And I think law was just a really interesting piece of that. And I think it informs how I think and how I navigate the world. So I'm beyond blessed and I'm extremely proud to be a Florida lawyer. Well, very good. Very good. One of the things I'd like to kind of talk to you about, because I think you uh, would know probably more about it than anybody is. And I relate back to when I first started Project Lifesaver. Uh, I started it mainly for Alzheimer's because mm -hmm. at that time, back in 1999, 98, Autism was a foreign word, to be honest. Uh, after about two years after I started the program, I got a call from a very good friend of mine who was a U.S. Marshal. Mm -hmm. And he said, uh, Gene, that program that you got, uh, how about in, in, including children with autism? I said, well, you know, I'm not too sure about that. Uh, it's one thing, you know, tracking an elderly person. Another tracking a, a high-energy a uh, young person that can move fast and often. Well, after a, about a week or so of uh, thinking about it, I went ahead and accepted and said, yes, we'll do that. And where I'm going with this is how have you seen the autism world change in the time that you have been in it? I know I have seen a lot of changes, uh, fortunately for the better, but I think you probably have a better insight into it than even I do. And, and I think people need to know because it is something that's prominent 
It needs mm-hmm. to be out in the open and people need to know and understand it. And I think you are a perfect person <laughs> to, to give us that kind of insight. What has changed even since you're telling the story about the late nineties, even the, as we know, the prevalence has changed. So actually recent CDC estimates came out maybe a couple of weeks ago saying that autism now affects about one in 44 people in the U S which is a lot. So we have a lot of autistic people who are being identified. We're getting better at identifying people and are really closing a lot of the disparities and who is identified and diagnosed with autism. So that's been a really welcome change in the last couple of years, especially is about, and it turns out to be about like 2% of the population. Like it's really interesting. And we've really closed the gap, especially when it comes to racial and cultural groups and also gender. So in the past, autism primarily is, or was diagnosed in white boys. So seeing that change to include more people of color, more people who are gender non-conforming and also women and girls has been extremely welcome. I also think the landscape has changed to include more services. I know, especially from your perspective and with law enforcement, there's a lot more police trainings. There's a lot of police departments that do include programs like Project Lifesaver. It's really wonderful to see those changes as well. And I know there's still a lot of work to be done in that arena, especially because when you do look at law enforcement training and also biases that aren't just on the basis of disability, but when we do confront actually put that in through an intersectional lens and include gender and race and socioeconomic status. We put all these different things together. We have a very different picture, but I do think it would be great if we had more comprehensive and more uniform training since it really is, you get what your district has. So sometimes that's, that's something I would like to see change, especially in our little bubble here, but more broadly, I think some of the other changes that have been welcome is we're getting out of this. Autism is a death sentence and disease type view that we're moving into a much more accepting and inclusive lens. So people might still be judgmental, but they're not judgmental in the same ways. So I see that we've really shifted to embracing the fact we all have different brains, which is what neurodiversity is all about. And it's probably something you will hear me say a lot, quite honestly, in that we are being a lot more mindful of how we talk about autism. We're a lot better at including the voices of autistic people in these conversations. And also I know Even since the early 90s, even the advent of the Americans with Disabilities Act and the amendments to the ADA that came in the late, like 2008, 2010, all of that has been instrumental for the autistic and autism communities as well. So when we look at this over the past, say, 30-ish years, you have, from that bigger view of the last 30 years, it's been a seismic shift. So when I think about the early 90s, we had the kind of revamping of the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. We had the ADA. And then so folks are actually able to get the services they need in school. They're able to get accommodations, all this great stuff going on. And now a lot of that generation like me, we came of age and now we're adults that are starting to really take charge and lead this conversation. So it is exciting. I know that from spending time in the autism community a lot, we say there's not enough change. We say that things move too slowly. But things have been moving a lot faster, especially when we take that bigger zoom lens and realize how much has changed in 10 years or 15 years or five years or 30 years. So I'm excited for what's to come. I hope that this community becomes more inclusive, more aware of diverse perspectives and ways of existing. And all of that makes me extremely hopeful for the future. And I hope that we keep breaking down barriers to access. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. I'm going to keep picking your brain here a little bit, (laughs) if you don't mind. Okay. Uh, 
Now, you mentioned law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And of course, being law enforcement, uh, here's what I would like for you to uh, expound on a little bit. I'm a young rookie officer getting ready to go into the field. What should I know about autism and how to deal with it so I can do it successfully in interaction that I may have with people on the spectrum? I know that's a deep subject. I was going to say, that's a really loaded question, especially (laughs) because I am not law enforcement. I was not a prosecutor or defense attorney. So I guess where I'm coming from, from, I come from lived experience. And that's what I'm looking for. What is it that a, a officer should know about autism so they can better interact with someone on the spectrum? How would you want to be treated if you were interacting with a law enforcement officer? How I would like to be treated, of course, is the same as anybody else. I would want to be treated with respect and dignity and empathy. I think that is the most important thing. And I think when we talk about autism, it's really important to realize that every person is different. So you might see people that might be non-speaking, that might be very verbose, that might be flapping their hands or stimming or piecing or completely retreat. I always think that this is interesting because for me, I am still very nervous around law enforcement. And usually that surprises people given, especially that I do work with you and I have led law enforcement trainings in the past. And a lot of that nervousness does come from knowing how autistic people are perceived. So I've always been very conscious of my body language because I don't want to be perceived as suspicious as many of us can be just because of how we operate and move throughout the world, whether it's that we want to touch everything or maybe that we want that sensory input or we want to or we have a meltdown and it looks like a mental health crisis. I think there's a lot of things that are so individual, but I think more broadly, we have to understand why are we being called into this situation? Why are we reacting the way that we are? And why do you think this person is? So sometimes I think one of the most important things you could do is have that empathy. And I know that it's really hard because a lot of autistic experiences don't look like what we know that we might think that when someone isn't speaking to us, and especially when we think about other disabled people too. So we think about people who are deaf or hard of hearing or autistic or who might have an intellectual disability. We might be thinking that a lot of these folks are just non-compliant. That's a word that gets thrown around a lot, not just in law enforcement, but in services as well. And it's not that folks are being non-compliant. Maybe they don't have the tools to communicate with you or they don't have the strategy or they're intimidated because they see the gun in your holster or that shiny thing showing up. So there's so many different reasons why someone might be quote unquote non-compliant. And I think that's something that's really hard for officers sometimes to grasp. So, and I know that a lot of times you have a split second to make decisions. So I'm trying to be as sensitive to that as possible. But I think what we need to do is really understand why people do the things that they do and how we can kind of diffuse the tension. So maybe if we are working with someone who is more evidently disabled or autistic, because some of us have a presentation that seems a lot more evident that you can tell that someone is struggling with something as opposed to others where it might not be as visible or apparent to you, but, but it doesn't mean that that person isn't struggling. So it really is a difficult question to answer and a lot to untangle. So I apologize if this just sounds like a lot of words and not really anything too concrete. Well, I think you've done very well. I think it really is honestly just assessing the situation. Why am I there and how can I make this person feel safe? Well, personally, I think, especially after being around you at several of our conferences, which, you know, is loaded with law enforcement. 
if you were nervous, nobody could ever tell it. I can assure you. I think I, I think very, there's a bit different nervousness between being at one of your conferences versus if somebody stopped me on the road. Well, you're probably right. In <laughs> fact, if I got stopped on the road, I would probably be nervous as well. Exactly. Just that, just that connotation that, okay, I've done something wrong. What have I done? Now, what's the result of this going to be? So, but I appreciate that. Uh, you did You did great. You answered it great. You're listening to Deploying High. I am Chief Gene Saunders, uh, founder and CEO of Project Lifesaver, your host. And we are speaking today with an extraordinarily beautiful young woman, Haley Moss. Haley, okay, let's go back a little bit. You you have been in the public eye for some time, and rightfully so. Now, I know that you may feel, you know, be being put on the spot with what I'm about to ask you, but you've won or been awarded, not won, but earned, a number of awards. And I think people need to know about those. So why don't you take a few minutes and tell us what you've done and how these, these awards have been uh, awarded to you. Oh my gosh. I always feel really weird doing the humble brags. <laughs> I, I know that. I so know, thank you. But, Honestly, but I, look, anyway. <laughs> I look at a lot of honors and recognition as just a testament to what has been done. And honestly, I don't think it's about me. And I think that's something I really want to stress. And I know that it's so easy to make this about myself, but honestly, even just being an openly autistic attorney has broken a barrier for so many folks when it comes to bringing our full selves to the workplace or realizing that autistic people can and do and will achieve and really kind of shattering those stereotypes. I see a lot of the awards that I've received kind of as a look, we are recognizing that these barriers are broken and thank you. I see it as an appreciation, not that I really did something per se or that, but the impact and the ripple effect. So I look at it as like this past fall, I won an award from the American Bar Association for breaking barriers in the legal profession. And I was saying, even at the ceremony that this wasn't about me, this is that I stand on the shoulders of giants who have been disabled and neurodivergent and autistic in our profession before I got here and might not have been able to share or face even more barriers than I did in that they paved the way. And that I also think this is for the next generation who hopefully won't have the same barriers that they faced and that I faced so that they have a better time making our profession, for instance, more accessible and inclusive. So I look at awards kind of in that light. So I did win that from the ABA. I've won several different legal awards, which still is really cool that my community and my profession believes in what I do. I've received things from nonprofits. I am genuinely just humbled every single time because I really don't think that this work is a me thing. If it were up to me, this work wouldn't need to exist because we would be so understanding and inclusive and accessible that we don't need someone to scream about it. So I think that's kind of my take on the whole thing. I know that's probably not the answer we were looking for, but that's kind of how I feel about it. And honestly, it really does mean a lot to get to advocate for my community and to make sure that things get better in some way, shape or form. Well, you mentioned uh, that you were standing on the shoulders of giants. Well, I think you need to put yourself in that same class. You are one of the giants who someone in the future is going to be standing on your shoulders. You have broken barriers. You have shown people what somebody that on the spectrum can do and can accomplish and can stand out among everyone in uh, making a better place and a better situation for them. Uh, 
But what's, uh, what do you think now is in the future for Haley Moss? TBD. You never know. <laughs> I just want a future where I am also putting myself at the forefront a little bit more so that I'm taking care, better care of myself, that I don't get burned out, that I'm able to be happy. I want to be healthy. I want to be successful on my own terms. And I also just want to make a difference for other people. So that's honestly the future that I want. I want a life full of laughter and love and all those things that seem kind of corny, but also the same things that everybody else wants. I want stability. I want all the same things that other folks dream of. So that's probably what is on my horizon, but I don't know what's next in terms of like, if it's another book or another interesting project, honestly, I just get really excited about being able to do something for other people. And that is kind of who I am as a person. Well, you certainly radiate that. So now here's another question for you. If Haley Moss had one wish, one wish, other than what you've already said, what would that wish be? To make sure that my family is safe and healthy at all times. Great answer. I Great feel answer. like I would, my one wish would to make sure that they're protected and cherished above all else because my family is my everything and they are the best human beings that I know and they have been there for everything and I want no, I want nothing to ever happen to them in the history of forever. Well, I know that your parents have been very supportive. In fact, I had the uh, pleasure of meeting your mother at the very first conference that you spoke at. Now, mm-hmm. uh, and I remember that conference well. I don't know how well you remember it, but you. I got to skip school that day. Though. I was really excited. Were you? When, when <laughs> I was in right. high, oh, when you're in high school and you get to miss school to go do something else. Oh yeah. <laughs> I know you were very. You were nervous. You were quiet. Very, I remember mm-hmm. that. Uh, but you have certainly come out, Haley, I will tell you. All right. I'm going to ask you one more question before we close. Okay. If you could give advice to a person that is on the spectrum, what would that advice be? There's nothing wrong with you. You are not broken. You are not a failed version of normal. You are a delightfully wonderful young autistic person. And it is up to you to also find your joy. A lot of people will tell you all the things that are hard for you and focus on that. And it will make you feel kind of crappy if you're not careful, but focus on your joy, focus on the things that make you happy, the things that you're passionate about and the things that matter to you, because that will be the bedrock for everything in your life. And it will make you feel that much more confident and empowered and able to do what you need to do. So focus on and find your autistic joy and celebrate that. So if somebody wanted to, to reach out to you, Haley, how could they do that? How could they get in contact with you? You can say hello to me at HaleyMoss.com, or you can visit me on all major social media, and I will do my best to respond even though my inboxes are usually a black hole. Yeah, I know you're a very, very busy person. We, we know that. So I would tell anybody that's trying to reach you to be patient, keep trying, because I know that Haley will respond. Uh, but anyway, you're listening to Deploying High. I am Chief Gene Saunders, the CEO and founder of Project Lifesaver International. And we have been speaking to Miss Haley Moss, a truly extraordinary young woman uh, that is on the autism spectrum and has reached out and become even uh, more stupendous in being a lawyer, a, uh, an author, a artist, And there's so many more things and I just can't name them all, but 
I think you just listening to Haley can give you some tremendous insight, especially if you are uneducated about autism and the spectrum. And I uh, urge you to study more about Haley and please, what books did you write, Haley? Which ones do you have on the market? I am the author of Middle School, The Stuff Nobody Tells You About, a freshman survival guide for college students on, with autism spectrum disorders, great minds think differently, neurodiversity for lawyers and other professionals, and the Young Autistic Adults Independence Handbook. Great, great. Everyone reach out. I think this would give you some tremendous insight into those on the spectrum and how to interact with them. Haley, I am so happy to be able to talk to you today. And as far as the conference, I said earlier, yeah, you'll be there. We already plan on that. So put that on your calendar, if you will. All right, I will. All right. Thank you, Haley. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. And I am closing now with deploying high chief Gene Saunders, founder and CEO of Project Lifesaver International. If you have not subscribed to our channel as yet, please do so. We talk to many interesting people, such as Haley, and I think uh, the information that we bring to you can definitely be helpful in your daily life. Thank you, and have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Deploying High podcast with Chief Gene Saunders, brought to you by Project Lifesaver. Deploying High would like to thank all of our supporters across the country and around the world. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe to our channel, make a donation, and don't forget to tell a friend about us. All proceeds from the Deploying High podcast go to support Project Lifesaver. Online at projectlifesaver.org, the original 501 501c3 nonprofit organization. 